0: 3CR
1: Community Radio,
2: radio, radio, 8.55am. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am until 8.30am.
3: Only double... (laughs)
0: Your
2: <laughs> Before starting the show, we would just like to acknowledge that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bururung people of the Kulin Nation.
4: We pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge their continued resilience of the First Nations people in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement.
1: We recognise sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. And with that, let's start the show. Yeah, so it's um, the 4th of August. September. September. <laughs> <gasps> oh my goodness, I was supposed
2: to introduce the show and I messed up. Um, <laughs> yep, yeah, September already. I should know that. My, day, my birthday is in like 10 days. Oh. So I really need to get them on. <laughs> yeah, you're going to miss your birthday. Yeah, um, yeah for 4th of September, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's your week been, guys?
1: Well, I was just Mm. saying, I'm trying to remember what I did this week. (laughs) It's the same as always. I feel like I'm just such a bore. Uni... Uni, uni uni yeah uni, really. i've
4: got my intense assessments next week yeah. so at the moment i'm dreaming in bricks and concrete and glass mm-hmm. and it just feels a little bit crazy Concrete but jungle. yeah concrete jungle
2: a little hectic um well something that is nice is that because we're, we're heading into summer we're heading into those yeah. longer days it's actually sunny outside guys so oh. um like we got here and we weren't in pitch black <laughs> which is <laughs> very nice um makes you feel very like it, it wakes you up because you know it does. waking up at that that five o'clock mark. For those who do it routinely, hats off to you guys. Mm. My body is against it, <laughs> against me. Um, so walking to the studio with it actually being light, like ah. Oh. This is refreshing. And it's just, like,
4: it's getting, like, significantly lighter every week. So yeah. it's, it's just it's a nice feeling.
2: It's amazing how, like, it jumps forward, isn't it? Yeah. Now, um, you will also, guys, uh, be missing Will's voice. He's not in studio this week with us, so he's off. But he has been leaving us some fantastic uh, kind of conversations he had just yesterday. So I thought I'd just give us a rundown of the show and what uh, Will's kind of produced for us. So we're actually going to be listening to uh, Fernanda, who is a Brazilian activist and organiser. And she'll be coming on the show to talk about the social political realities in brazil that allow the amazon fires to happen mm. so of course as we know we've been following the story of um fires in brazil which has been devastating yeah
4: absolutely horrible. and not the only bad thing in the amazon as well mm. been. that's a yeah. half a billion bees gone. <laughs> lots, lots of things so just depressing yeah i know <laughs> <laughs>
2: I will also be listening to uh GN Jonad who is a community organizer and refugee from Burma uh one of the many refugees and asylum seekers trapped in Indonesia with no work rights no freedom of movement and dwindling hopes of resettlement. So last few weeks have been kind of seen a resurgence of refugees raising their voices against uh Australian law uh ref- who are refu- currently refusing a resettlement uh and he'll be kind of talking about his experiences and yeah hopefully giving us a bit of an insight there. Then it's 7.45. Yeah,
4: we've got Fiona Patton from The Reason Party, which should mm. be super exciting, Um, speaking about her recently introduced anti-trolling bill. So we'll be... It will be interesting. ...unpacking that a little bit more and what that means and mm. how we deal with anti-trolling. Online. Yeah,
2: I mean, because we're in a room of, uh, unfortunately, you know, millennials r- roughly and a little bit up, mm. like, mm-hmm. the word troll, like, I just... <laughs> I don't know, I think about, like, the 90s and I feel about, like, that troll lol song. Do you remember that? I Do you think, remember that song? I, I think of Lord of the Rings. You and think like of the Lord trolls of, and being like, I wish not, oh. I thought of that. <laughs> I just think of like annoying year five boys being like, "Huh, you got trolled," and I'm like, I hate that.
4: <laughs> but obviously, like if that's the word they're using, then it must be the it must be the, the lingo. legitimate lingo.
2: Who knows? Maybe we need some even younger people just to come in and be like, actually, the word's like jonthk <laughs> <laughs> Now, I don't know why jonthk was the first thing that came to mind, but it is. <laughs> Um, and then at eight o'clock we'll be listening to, or we'll be talking to Freya, who is running a, um, workshop, I should call it, called Period Witches, all about kind of raising information and awareness about menstruation and stuff like that. So I'll be interested to check that out. Mm. Um, Freya's actually been passed on from a really cool little community organization called And Also Presents, Mm -hmm. which is a total grassroots community, non-funded, blah, 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 um, but ArsIS initiative, which combines just, um absolutely wicked Mm. uh, female artists and um, gender uh, non-conforming artists. And just, oh, the the projects they put on are nuts, guys. You should definitely, definitely, I recommend checking them out. Um, But apart from that endorsement, (laughs) at 8.12 we'll also be having, um,
1: is it Scott Jordan? Scott Jordan, yes. Scott Jordan's from the Bob Brown Foundation, um, which is a foundation that is all about protecting Australia's wildlife and scenic natural places mm. of ecological and global significance. We'll be talking to him about how Britain's Timbers is currently taking over another mill in northwest Tasmania in the Tarkin region. So they're going to be taking over some more rainforests. Mm. Um, Logging and that sort of thing. So we're having a chat to him about that and what his organisation's planning to do about the Mm. recent yeah update with the Britain's timber. And
4: it's interesting because like following on from last week when we had Kate Daly talking about Mm. forestation, how I think she was saying how Australia is the worst country, the worst developed Mm. country in terms of deforestation.
2: Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Especially as we've been following like all the recent stories about like King King Lake and stuff Mm. like that. Like the the amount of forest going at the moment is. Crazy, and yeah. especially um the the talking is such it's it's a world treasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I was introduced to this topic earlier this year because we were at the festival, well like a festival, and they had like a big tent up, yeah. and they were doing a lot of promotion around it. But they're just kind of like, this is a sensational forest that yeah. <laughs> our government's like.
1: Yeah, yeah they try- yeah. I think that the uh, foundation's actually trying to get it onto the world heritage. Yeah, list absolutely. By at least 2020, yeah. but now with you know companies like Britain's... it's oh,
4: you can like do a good. lot in six months.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, it's true. Three I should that. <laughs> and with that, um, we're
2: going to jump right into Alternative News. We'll be back after the beautiful Nitty Gritty by the beautiful Shirley Elise. Mm-hmm.
5: Some folks know about
2: Okay, and we'll be jumping into some news stories. So the first one I kind of wanted to bring up was a article I thought was kind of a bit of fun. It's called, The Fact Is Nothing's Going to Be Done About Climate Change Until It Kills a Lot of White People. Uh, So this appeared in uh, a magazine, and it was kind of basically just raising the point that in our little privileged corner of the world, we can do a lot about climate kind of crisis tantrums, and, oh, no, the world's going to end... But we're really not doing anything a lot of the time. Uh, a lot of the time we're just kind of throwing ideas out into the public. And whilst, you know, that's part of the process, spreading awareness, and and sometimes you do not have the full capacity to act, um, it really isn't doing much and we're still facing, you know, Twelve years until extinction and stuff like that, or not extinction, but severe severe climate yeah. <laughs> collapse and the start of extinction. Uh, if yeah. you are interested in reading it, it is uh, in the Stranger, which is a little online magazine. But um, it was it was kind of bringing me back to uh, a few different like interconnected issues that are kind of going around this, and one of them was uh, especially the Jabbarong kind of em- mm. embassy. And one of the, th- I was talking to an academic yesterday called Libby Thor, Libby at um, RMIT, who's kind of around urban development and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But she was saying that we are entitled to misunderstand the environment. We're entitled to un- misunderstand things like Jiborong. Um And just highlighting that we're here in the developed, you know, Australia. It's it's very easy to kind of dismiss it. Because it's not, at, at, when 2030 comes, it's not going to be us who are immediately heard. It's not going to be you know, death in the suburbs, it's going to be the death of island nations and things like that. So it was just kind of making the point that it was like, when is it it going to affect you enough that you actually care? Yeah, Mm. I've had a lot of
4: discussions with people about, like, whether, um, like, the way that the world's kind of developing, and it Mm. seems to be we're just going to get this sort of, like, isolator pocket Mm. in a lot of developed countries, partly because they're in the most stable environmental places. Mm -hmm. Australia's the most vulnerable environmentally developed nation in terms of environmental Uh, vulnerability, Mm. but we might just have this kind of world where people just live in a bubble and just completely neglect the other 70% of the population that's living in Mm. informal settlements and being hit by whatever natural disasters day in, day out.
2: Yeah, and it makes me mad because I've been talking to a few people who are very much... uh, I've been talking to people who are climate deniers and going, Mm. you know, what up? And they've been going, oh, yeah, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not going to be a problem. I mean, it'll happen at some point. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but it's not going to hurt you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose this article really reaffirmed for me trying to make it personalise it to the individual and mm-hmm. really break down that entitlement or that assumption. Because something that Libby was saying is she was saying, hey, it's actually hard to understand. We are built up with this privilege. We're built up with this barrier. Mm-hmm. It really is about breaking that down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of link that back to Jabwarowong just with the idea of um, uh, a point that was made to me recently was the Andrew government at the moment have been saying that... Uh, the removal of these trees would be is regrettable uh. but necessary uh. and one of the things that was pointed out to me is Daniel Andrews of course doesn't have connection to land doesn't have connection to these trees and so is fundamentally misunderstanding the entire point and is entitled to basically misunderstand and it's a point that um before kind of euthanasia and volunt- uh, voluntary death kind of laws were brought in, Daniel Andrews was actually hugely against it. It was only after his father went through it that he actually really radically changed his position on the policy and mm. made it, you know, pass it this year. So it's obvious that when Daniel Andrews and the Andrews government has a connection to a topic, mm. they seem to go further through with it.
4: And then I mean, that's a lot, like a lot of the human psychology is that you won't respond to an issue until it's directly mm. affecting you. So it's just like, we don't really care about water security until we have a drought. Or like, Absolutely. for example, in Cape Town, when they nearly ran out of water oh. and they were literally about two weeks away from... Is there water left?
2: Yeah, yeah. So if, uh, I think if you're feeling angry about it, feel free to write to them and be like, why aren't you connecting with this? Why aren't you um, mm. recognising the connection that's there? Anyway, that's kind of my little environmental rant. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: On to you, Jess. What's, what have you got in the papers today? Um, so front page of The Australian, um, the Tamil case says far for 6,000 others. So there's been well, almost 6,000 asylum seekers who refugee claim, uh, whose refugee claims were rejected after they arrived by boat under the previous Labor government, are engaged in similar legal appeals to that of the Tamil family, Mm -hmm. who have been in the media a lot lately. Um, The backlog of legal cases involving people fighting to stay in Australia uh, was revealed after the Home Affairs spokeswoman of the opposition Um, said that the Albanese government would absolutely be open to letting the Tamil family stay. Now, the backlog is currently at 5,757 asylum seekers on bridging visas. Um, they're pursuing legal challenges against deportation. There's also 7,900 more yet to have their refugee claims uh, processed. And in numbers, um, there's 51,798 asylum seekers who have arrived from 2008 to 2013. Mm. So it's just um, the, yeah, I think it's just ongoing. I think the Tamil family has just brought a lot to light and, like, it's a lot of progress for other, you know, refugees to be able to come out and, you know, Mm. get a stand on like hopefully yeah (laughs)
2: that's something that we'll be having as a interview coming up yeah but um it it was raised to us recently that um the refugees and asylum seekers who arrived in australia by boat between 2012 to 2013 faced the Abbott government's like harshest Mm -hmm. um asylum seeker turn away boat policy right Mm -hmm. and their trials are only now coming to a head so Mm -hmm. it's actually been the the last dates uh for these trials have been set for like 2021. But if you just think about that process, it was uh, 2012, 2013, arrived here. Then in 2017, we're uh, given the option of going through the fast-track legal process, which has been set up specifically for that group of people. Mm. And by fast-track, it means less opportunity to appeal your case and less opportunity to actually meet with lawyers. It's more meeting with um, immigration, you know, immigration agents and stuff like that. So it's, kind of appalling that these people have been here since 2012, Mm. got the option to actually uh, appeal in 2017, and now their end dates are being set for 2021 at the earliest. Mm. And that's just kind of the reality these people are living through. A huge kind of, as you said, issue that's been brought out of this is the fact that people are living through severe trauma of not having an end date. Mm. So it's just a kind of horrible kind of situation. And tagging on kind of from that story, especially with the... um, uh, case of the Tamil family who are currently in offshore, or on Christmas Island, I should say. Um, there's been a recent kind of report that just on Monday uh, there was a big media release, um, plastered all over the news, of basically uh, boat arrivals that, uh, boat, yeah, some boat arrivals that came a few weeks ago. Uh, and what it was, what, what the kind of media reporting to come out of this is Prime Minister Scott Morrison has conceded that he ordered the release of new data on Sri Lankan boat arrivals to keep the threat of illegal or illegals a- alive. That was a quote. Uh, the government has struggled to fight off accusations that it was kind of playing this mm-hmm. manipulative kind of dirty politics with the release of this information, but it has indeed, um, yeah, it, it basically used this as a post-boy, and it's, it's mm-hmm. released that on Monday. So uh, the government said that this was the sixth boat from Sri Lanka to attempt to a- Enter Australian waters since May, but it's the first time that this information's been made public, and it just reminds us how much we're not hearing about. Uh, it, yeah. That when we do hear about it, it's with strategic, purposeful intent, uh. as, and it's immediately followed up this kind of developing story with the Tamil and this outcry, uh, family and this outcry for um, support that they've had. Uh, yeah, that was first thing on Monday. So it just mm-hmm. shows you why government's release of information is so strategic, tactical. Yeah, so tactical, and it really is. It really is manipulative, and Scott Morrison has said, you know, we're doing this to make sure that the threat of, you know, illegal illegal arrivals to Australia is foremost in the public's mind, so they're not being, Mm -hmm. they're being pretty bloody obvious with what they're saying. Um, But yeah, it's just another snapshot to the picture this week in Australia. Um, The last thing I wanted to mention was something just a little bit different, Uh, I saw this poster. So this is the blockade for the IMARC for climate justice this year. Now, this is off in October the 28th to the 31st, so a little while off, but I thought book it into your calendars if you're interested. Um, This will be some of, basically, it'll be the International Mining and Resources Conference, uh, an international mining company conference, which includes some of the worst polluters in the world, all gathering together in Melbourne uh, to kind of discuss continuing to destroy the environment would that be okay mining yeah that's that's a very big <laughs> that's a very big what uh, <laughs> should I say interpretation of their engender, but that's what i feel Inter- uh, <laughs> anyway basically uh, the blockades calling for people to meet at 6am on monday the 28th of october at the Clarden, at claden street at the end of melbourne convention and exhibition centre we'll be following that a bit further but again i thought i'd just raise it because i think just kind of making that sort of public stopping people from get, entering into that conference Might say something. Anywho, with that, we might jump into our first song and then go into our first conversation from Will. Sounds great. Awesome. So uh, this week's theme is revolution, if you guys haven't Mm -hmm. been guessing. Mm -hmm. We've been having individual DJs, so this week you're in my hands. Lord help you. Um, (laughs) And we've got Talking About Revolution by Tracy Chapman.
6: Battery, a revolution shine sounds. Yes, sir. Who are people gonna rise up and get their share? Who are people gonna rise up and take what's there?
1: There's been a lot of reportage around the catastrophically large scales of fires burning in the Amazon in both Brazil and Bolivia. You may have heard that there are almost 90,000 fires raging and that the smoke plumes can be seen from space. What you may not have heard is the political context to these fires, why they were lit and whose interests they serve. Wednesday Breakfast Will speaks to Fernando Santos to find out more.
7: So I'm here in the studio right now with Fernando Santos, who is a socialist feminist and a social worker, Um, is a member of the internationalist organization Luta Socialista and Mariela Vivi, um, which is a collective empowering women's leadership, both based in Brazil. And we're in the studio today to talk about the political and the social context which has led to the ongoing catastrophe of um, now it's about 40,000 different fires that are burning in, in the Amazon right now and um, try to understand why this has happened. So, um, Fernanda, first of all, thank you for joining us at 3 oh, Yeah,
8: thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to come and <laughs> speak a little bit about what's happening.
7: Thank you. Um, so, I thought we might start with talking about the significance of fires. In Australia, we're accustomed to natural bushfires and fires as a tool for land management. Um, what has happened in the Amazon? How did these fires come around?
8: Um, yeah, so we... will uh, Bushfires are um, also common in Amazon during the dry seasons, uh, but last month um, was a peak, and apparently it was the highest since 2010, mm. um, and it was burning for like three weeks. Um, yeah, and now they found out that was criminal, which is What everything was. uh, So,
7: so the suggestion is it's lit by people. Yes, it's it's not just a natural occurrence. Yeah, yeah.
8: This one was not. So it was reported that about seventy rural farmers, Mm. land grabbers, and businessmen um, were coordinating a fire day. Mm. Um, They, it it sounds like they are are actually supported of Bolsonaro, and they Mm. just wanted to um, say they are with him and supporting him. Uh, they say this during the discussion. Um so yeah, it was it, it seems like the um th- they started uh, looking and in doing into doing something after the second day of mm. that study so it was already um
7: oh, the government is looking yeah, to respond and stop yeah. the fires after two days of the fires going on yeah which right.
8: yeah, which was very mm. problematic, and mm. it looks like they were um they received notice before it happened, so they were right. informed, yeah, this okay. is what the um news are talking about mm. that they uh, and it is, it's very tricky at the moment because um the public servants that work for the Obama I- mm. apparently Obama
7: being the, the yes. Um, sort of like the parks, yes. department of, of Brazil, yeah, yeah,
8: the protection in mm-hmm. um, uh, environmental agency. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they've been told to not give interviews. Um So right. uh, so I think they yeah. it it seems like two of them have been uh, talking a little bit, but they uh, they don't even identify who they are.
7: Sure. So already we're getting into an implication that there's some relationship between the fires and the government of um, President Jay Bolsonaro. Yeah. Um, We recognise that President Bolsonaro is an avowed fascist and has policy positions that directly threaten indigenous land rights and working-class relationships to the land. But this isn't a new position in Brazil, is it?
8: Well, no. We were colonised, so... Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Yes. So for more than 500 years, that's how um, they live, just surviving and fighting and... uh, they have uh their own uh groups to protect the uh forests as well. because uh, of course around those areas there are lots of unemployment and no indigenous people just uh, wanting a way to survive as well. So sometimes they mm-hmm. they will go and uh work for the agribusiness or um and and do those things against uh, the people, so they d- mm. of course they don't invest in those areas as well, uh, to keep um, those people needing, Oh, to the government work for doesn't the, invest, yeah. In the in those areas. government, the yeah. any industry, any, any sure. yeah, but the government as well, like mm. they're not that there are no um opportunities or options mm. for yeah, people living, so it's very um. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. So if we think more recent history, because I was talking about the whole 500 years, of course di- dictatorship um, was the time when um, they were really targeted because yeah. uh, we we even didn't get to know uh, how much it was. But uh, these days we have more information about what happened during that time, yeah. and yeah, um, what they are saying is that now it's it's a very similar period. What they're um, experiencing in the community—they uh, they really, um, yeah, mm. scared and trying to get yeah. organized, but um, they need support as well. So we even had a uh, um, protest here, supporting solidarity here in Melbourne and uh, other capitals in Australia. And what I was talking is that uh, the most important thing is to. Uh, put some pressure for the government to invest on the indigenous community and protecting them mm-hmm. instead of doing the opposite. There is no other um, actual like solution. They, mm-hmm. they are the ones that can look yeah. after the, the land yeah. and protect it.
7: And speaking of a solution, I want to ask you: um, Who's doing the real work when it comes to to fighting the fires and, and caring for the Amazon? Do you think they'll be successful in their their work when it? You know, we've got. 80 90% higher rates of fire this year than last year. It's a huge problem.
8: Yeah. Uh, so, what, what has been done already? Mm. Um, they, um, the, the use of military um, intervention, like they, they're being, it seems like uh, 3,000 military personnel using planes and mm. helicopters. Um, so, they've been actively combi- combating uh, the fires um so it's it's a bit uh scary though because uh the military occupation of the region mm. um does fit with bolsonaro's agenda and mm. it, it ideology so it's um yeah so we we don't know i i'm sure um like his government's not gonna look for the best solution for the indigenous so i think um yeah so we Well, we need to to make sure that we get information from what the indigenous communities are demanding and telling, Mm. uh, which is always hard because the news usually, like, they fail to cover uh, what's happening Mm. in those areas. But, uh, yeah, it's just... It seems like he's doing a whole um, intentional, like, show of... They... um, Dealing with the fire now Like Mm. from the army But um, we know that the most important Is to prevent those things From happening anyway Because the impact was huge And we we can't We can't have those things happening Anyway Uh, But Bolsonaro's agenda is always um, Creating uh, Terror Mm. Like letting people really scared And then he uh the solution is to put the army to solve things so yeah, yeah. that's um that's a worry yes. um so but it, it seems like now because he wants to avoid the whole inter- international uh, attention mm-hmm. he has uh, uh pulled back a little bit around his agenda mm-hmm. like in um in more like um, deforestation and uh he is it seems like he stopped, and now um, he's he's not he he's not gonna gonna do more like demarcation for the indigenous, um, but he's at least not going to do the opposite. At least not at this t- at this moment. Right. So yeah, we I think we actually need to use this moment to keep uh, the pressure. Yes, yeah. and uh, keep him um, yeah watched it because. Uh, his intentions are not good. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, all the people around him. And it is the way his uh, the government is also controlling uh, the information. Mm. If you see here, we have the, like, Brazilian Im- embassy. The, uh, the Facebook page was such a shame what they posted, mm. like, very uh, not realistic uh, data and information to people. So that's that's how the, his government is going to walk oh. around and yeah, um, just spreading lies and trying to say uh, things are not oh. as they're saying. Um, so
7: we end this interview with a call to action to stay properly informed yes. and to keep up the pressure. Yes. Yes, okay. That's well, exactly. I've been speaking to Fernando Santos, who is a, f- a socialist feminist and a social worker. And as a member of the internationalist organisation Luta Socialista, Mariana Vivi as well, Collective Empowering Women's Leadership. Uh, Fernanda, thank you so much for joining us.
9: Oh,
1: thank you. thank Thanks. you. Next up, we'll be listening to, we'll speak about the Jun'aid refugees in Makassar. Since 2014, UNHCR recognised refugees stranded in Indonesia have not been accepted for resettlement in Australia, thanks to policy approved by Scott Morrison in his tenure as Immigration Minister. This is in spite of our signing onto the UN Refugee Convention. Since then, refugees and asylum seekers have protested Australian policy, which effectively leaves them stranded in Indonesia, a non-signatory to the Refugee Convention, which severely restricts refugees' freedom of movement and expression. Seeing a refugee resettlement options dwindle, a new round of protests started on the 6th of August outside Australian representative offices across Indonesia. Wednesday Breakfast Will speaks to writer, advocate and re- refugee J.N. Junaid in the city of Makassar.
7: So I'm speaking to J.N. Junaid, who is a writer and human rights activist and is part of the refugee and asylum seeker community in Makassar, Indonesia. Last week, he attended a protest outside the Australian Consulate General in Makassar. These protests have been ongoing for quite a while. And last week, local police beat and arrested 25 protesters and took them to immigration detention. Janay joins us on the phone to update us on the situation. Um, Thank you for joining us on 3CR. Thanks for joining us. Thank
3: you for having me. Thank you. Uh,
7: So can I ask you, first of all, the the protests um, are in multiple cities. There's... Makassar, where you are based right now, in Sulawesi, and there's also the capital of Indonesia, Jakarta, and um, I'm in contact with someone in Batam as well, near Singapore. Um, Are the protests, at least in Makassar, still ongoing?
3: Yes, the protests in Makassar are still ongoing, and and yes, and it's also happening in other cities as well.
7: Mm. And the the reports of police violence last week, um, can you tell us what exactly happened?
3: Well, uh, last week on twenty nine uh, August, refugees uh, were refugees went to protest uh, at the Australian consulate, and the uh, and the police over there has have had forcefully uh, removed them uh, from the uh, from protesting at the Australian consulate, and then they decided to walk to the uh, refu- uh, uh, UNICEF office, which is just uh, five minutes away from the Australian consulate. As they were walking toward the. Uh, uh, what the UNICEF office the police uh, you know attacked them on the on the way along the way and then they forcefully arrested the activists uh, like selectively arrested the activists uh, and who are actually uh, you know organizing the protests. Mm. So, so it wasn't everyone uh, in the group uh, luckily, it was
7: selective selective arrest against the yeah, organizers
3: it was yes it was selective arrest against the organizers Actually, it is not 25 that they arrested. Uh, Yesterday, when I talked to them, uh, you know, personally uh, through the call, I found out that it's actually a 26 person has Mm. been arrested, and I have their name listed last night.
7: Yes. Now, you've been in contact with them, like you said. Um, How how are they doing in jail?
3: Uh, Well, their situation is really worse, and they are... uh, they are isolated from each others and they have been locked up in a detention cell. It is not detention actually. It's more like often it's more like a prison cell because they are not allowed to go out of the out of the prison cell. They are locked up in the prison cell and they are isolated from each others, and they are uh, mobile and and everything has been confiscated. So the last time they somehow uh, manage uh, borrows from someone. Maybe maybe they give money to the immigration to. Uh, to make a call to us uh, to tell us how they are suffering there, and and the, the reason why the, why they contact us last night is because one of the uh, one of the fellow uh, refugees there is actually uh, in a very serious situation. Uh, he is uh, mentally uh, disabled, and he feel like he cannot control himself. So there is a possibility that he might, they are afraid that he might commit suicide. Mm. So that's why they ask us to help them release as soon as possible.
7: Mm. Now, um, you also reported in a media release that one 25-year-old Afghan res- refugee was, um, in, in the course of being beaten by police, fell unconscious and is now in hospital. Do you have any news yeah, about it?
3: yeah during the protest uh, the police actually also beat the uh the refugees, uh, because it wasn't a peaceful arrest, it was actually force, forceful arrestment. The police had beaten the refugees and and one of them uh you know knocked down and and he, he was immediately hospitalized and And I had the picture I had seen him, and he's somehow he's recovered now. And it happened also in the uh, on the 8th uh, you know on the 8th august uh, on the third day of the protest uh, that time the police and, and also the local joined to attack the refugees and and that time also another twenty years old afghani was uh, fall unconscious and he was uh, later hospitalized and yeah. so it is the second time that the police have attacked the protesters mm,
7: okay.
3: during the protest.
7: And what were the the refugees in Makassar protesting for? What what, were their specific demands or um, the message that they wanted to pass on to the Australian consulate?
3: Well, it is a very sad situation that the refugees in Indonesia are facing now. They are stranded in this legal limbo for 6 to 9 years without any durable solution available for them and when they talk to the unicef, UNICEF says they are very slim chance for the refu- for the resettlement because the resettlement countries are reducing their number of air intake from the uh, from the australia from the sorry from indonesia and and that they uh, on the other hand a uh, refugee can't go back to their own country because they were an And the conflict are still ongoing there. For example, um, I myself cannot go back to my country because uh, we don't have an identity, and the Burmese government, especially, effectively denied our citizenship right. They don't even accept if they if we go back. I even asked the UNs here to deport me back to my country. They said your country doesn't accept you. How can we deport you? So. It is very difficult for the people, for the refugees, to go back, and also their fear of the uh, uh, of of uh, being killed in their country. And I and I have studied that there are some cases that the refugees deported themselves and let her died, let her killed, let her be killed in the in the country, in their country.
0: Mm.
3: So uh, the refugee fears to go back, and on the other hand, Indonesia, da, da, you know, does not accept local integrations. So, refugees are in these situations of uncertain to, to their future, so they are demanding, uh, you know, a solution from the international government and asking the Australian government to, uh, you know, to, uh, to uh, change, to reverse this policy that made in 2014 uh, that frees the resettlement process of refugee from Indonesia.
7: Mm. You've made the point that many of these refugees who are protesting are recognised as refugees by the UNHCR as well. Yes, they are uh,
3: recognised, yeah. They are recognised as genuine genuine refugees. Mm.
7: And so uh, the refugees and asylum seekers in Makassar presented... Were were you successful in presenting the consul consul general with a letter?
3: Well, yes, we have talked to the deputy of the uh, consulate, and I do not know his name. He didn't mention his name. He just said, "I am the deputy of the consulate, But our intention was to meet the Mister Richard, and he is the uh, consulate of the uh, uh, of the Australian uh, consulate in uh, Makassar, and we represented them a letter. And then the, I have also talked to them about the Australian policy, well, how it is uh, affecting the refugees in Indonesia, and I asked them to correct the system and and consider the refugees suffering. And they they haven't replied at any any of our question that day, but later they have given us a letter uh, with as, as a reply, and the letter says that the refu- we are uh, we are uh, we have to secure our border because. 1800 people have died in the oceans and and that the, and that we respect Indonesian current policy on the refugees so and and they basically encourage us to go back to our uh, to our countries by saying that they uh, support the voluntary return and they fund IUM to exist the refugees those who are willing to go back to uh, their country mm. So, so so this is So that letter was actually yeah, sorry. No, I was just saying yeah.
7: that, that clear this is clearly not a, a satisfactory response from the Consul General. Um no, and no, so it is, it as is a
3: result. Of that, a threat. Mm. It is a threat to the refugees that we will not change our policy. It is you who has to leave the country and we can't do anything. So we have nowhere for you. We have nothing for you. Mm. So it is, it is this a, a discouragement dis- to our refugee and, and encouraging them to go to go back to their country.
7: Mm. And so, in response to this, will the 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 refugees based in Makassar continue to protest into the future, or are there different steps that you hope to take soon?
3: Yeah, they are. Uh, they're gonna pro- continue the protests uh, at the at the UNSCR office. Sometime they will uh, uh, direct their protests at the consulate. But it is difficult to protest at the consulate because the police are heavily yeah, funded by the Australian government. Uh, you know to protect the uh, the Australian policy. So it is uh, kind of difficult and dangerous to protest at the Australian consulate. Mm. So they're going to continue protesting at the UNSCR
7: office. And so the protest will continue indefinitely?
3: Yeah.
7: Um, So I've been speaking to JN Junaid, who is a writer and human rights activist, part of the refugee and asylum seeker community in Makassar, Indonesia. Junaid, thank you so much for joining us on 3CR Community Radio.
3: You're welcome.
1: You can listen to Will and Wednesday Breakfast live every Wednesday morning from 7am or on demand at 3cr.org.au. You can also catch the podcast on your phone. Just search Wednesday Breakfast on your favorite podcast app. Awesome.
2: And next up we'll be having a song uh, following in revolution. This song is called The Revolution Was Postponed Because of the Rain by The Brooklyn Funk Essentials. <laughs>
10: The revolution was postponed because of rain. The underlying, immediate, political, socio-economic, and trigger mechanism causes were all in place when some Negro or the other got hungry, had to stop at the McDonald's, had to get on the line with a new trainee cashier. Ah, uh, where's the button for the fries? So we missed the bus. Then the leader couldn't find his keys. Didn't want some poor ass moving his brand new 20-inch and VCR out his living room on the shoulders. It was too late when the locksmith came. Then our demo expert, Willie Blue, got arrested. Came out with his head hanging on his hoodie. Didn't know they started doing that for jumping the turnstiles, he said. How many times must we tell you? Don't get caught. He voted against shooting him on the spot. In the winter, we were all depressed. So we leaned our guns up against the sofas and listening instead to Tim Tim Terrell singing about his dysfunction. Oh, it's he thinks sometimes I wonder if I'll ever be free, or free of the sins of my brother. The 17th would be sunshine and it wouldn't be too hot. Tim Tim Teree doesn't like sweating. But that night the weatherman came on crying, saying he didn't control the weather, that God was real, that he's lucky he, God, didn't strike him, the weatherman, with lightning for taking the credit sometimes, and that he, the weatherman, was in no way responsible for the hurricane coming, and that we, the viewers, should pray Jesus into our hearts before it was too late. Super Bowl thunder was out. All the women wanted to see the game, and the men were pissed at their insensitivity. The 20th was supposed to be a definite. We looked for some that sealed the storm, didn't find any. Settled on the armory instead before they moved the homeless in. We'll bum rush it anyway, I said. It smells like a collection of a thousand parts in there, they said. So we waited for the approval of the city contract, the bill about steel, which set the revolution back five years. the revolution on Tuesday. She was in a pissed off mood. Her tax return didn't come in time for the rent, but they showed the We Are the World video on cable that evening and we all held hands and cried to stop from laughing and our anger subsided. Looking back, it could have been a plot, but there are more substantive plots to expose than the We Are the World Conspiracy. Now we wait for the rain to stop. All forces on the alert some in Brooklyn basements, packed in between booming speakers, listening to Chavrants and Arrested Development, bowling and doing the East Coast stuff, gargling with Bacardi and brown power, breaking that monotony with slow movements, slow hip grinding movements, with the men breathing In the woman's ears, To earth wind and fire's reasons, and wondering what the weather will be like next weekend. Let's
2: our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're
1: 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop
11: into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419 8377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward shop. Come on, you know you want one.
7: Most LGBTIQ people experience positive, intimate, and family relationships. However, like cisgendered heterosexual people, some LGBTIQ people experience abuse and violence in their relationships. With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians, providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between Queer. Thorn Harbour Health Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria For more information visit withrespect.org.au or call 1-800-542-847 With Respect is not a crisis service If you need immediate help call 000
2: A 3CR supporter
4: code is an LGBTIQA plus health podcast made by queers across eight episodes hear us engaging with our communities discussing diverse and intersecting topics on in your face on the last friday of every month
8: or download from 3cr.org.au forward slash qr code
7: and follow us on facebook at qr code 3cr funded by the city of yara
4: You're listening to 3CR Wednesday Breakfast, and in the studio we have Fiona Patton from The Reason Party. Good morning. Good morning. How are
12: you? I'm actually really well. Yeah. <laughs> I, sorry, I, I had a really late night function um, on the far other side of town, oh. and yeah, so I'm kind of thinking... Wow, I feel surprisingly well <laughs> after such little sleep. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well, it's great that you're in the studio, so thanks for making some time. Um, I guess, like, so we we'll, we'll got you in today to talk about the anti-trolling bill that you recently introduced. So, I mean, just to sort of get a bit of context. So, I guess, what is trolling, first and foremost, and why is this such an important issue to address?
12: Look, I think all of us would be aware of just the, the vicious, the online viciousness that people are experiencing – and and the real effects that that has on people, we're seeing increased suicide. Um, that's linked to online abuse. We're seeing certainly, you know, people fe- fearing for their safety because of that because of that abuse, and and also mental health has been very affected by um, that on online abuse. And we're not talking sort of the rough and tumble of no, you're an idiot or. You know, that was a terrible kick. You know, your team sucks. Um, it's really when people start targeting a family or start, um, inciting violence against someone. You know, you should be dot, dot, dot. Um, you know, you, you should, you don't deserve to be here. I wish Mm. you were dot, dot, dot. Um, why don't you go and kill yourself? You know, just really incredibly vile and vicious language. And, so I, I think it's time for us to address that. Look, I, I would love that if we could have legislation, and I think we would actually only need one law if we did, don't be an absolute dickhead <laughs> law. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I'm not saying don't be just a dickhead, but don't be an absolute mm. dickhead. Yeah. Um, if we did that, I think we could actually write off most of the laws on our statute book. <laughs> but we can't do that yet.
4: Unfortunately. <laughs> I guess, like, so then, like, on that point, how are the current sort of anti-vilification laws inadequate? And are there yeah. any existing measures in this kind of space at all?
12: Not really. Um, so at the moment, we have got vilification laws, but it only protects people um, due to their race or religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this bill essentially is just saying, how about that protection is awarded to all of us, mm-hmm. um, you know particularly based on gender sexuality, sex characteristics etc, mm. um, and I use the kind of it 's an interesting analogy that um, Taylor Harris, who 's that wonderful women 's football football player, she did this brilliant kick there was a photograph that went out, and she she was just attacked like mm. they swarmed her. Mm thousands of people and she really you know she's a strong resilient tough professional boxer Mm. um but she said even when she was signing signatures signing her autograph to young players and young people Mm. afterwards she was just always keeping an eye out that there wasn't someone Mm. around her so it really did affect her perception of her, her safety that there was nothing she could do she could take out you know, stalking, she could, you know, approach the police about stalking or something like that. Now, if that had been Adam Goods, he would have been protected by that legislation. Mm. Mm. So it's interesting that Adam, was, you know, and, and as he should be, mm. but I think that's a good example of why we could expand the legis- the, the legislation to include all attributes. Uh, you know, the legislation was written back in the 90s, you know, Prior to the internet yeah. um, So, you know, the police response to this type of trolling at the moment is Well, just, you know, make your accounts private mm. Don't engage mm-hmm. You know, go off the internet For most of us, we actually couldn't do our jobs If we didn't engage and communicate through social media, so Mm -hmm. that's not an option for a lot of the people. And you think of, I mean, Erin Riley, another journalist, Amy Gray, another journalist. Every time they put their heads up or would make a comment uh, that you know some bunch of you know generally nasty young men um, didn't like, Mm. they they actually would do these coordinated swarmings. And they just would land. I think Erin got something like 2,000, um, abusive attacks in a manner of hours mm. um, for, and I can't even remember what she wrote. It was, you know, it, it wasn't that controversial. Mm. Mm. And I mean, I guess on that point of
4: how, like you're saying, how the last laws were sort of written in the 1990s, mm. you're saying, how do you then sort of anticipate or how do you think you can help this law, the bill that you're introducing maintain its relevance into the future? Because the mm. mediums that trolling might occur on might change and so on and that, so forth.
12: That's right, that's right. And I think, look, I think at the moment we, we're trying to draw a line because you don't want... To silence people. No. Um, mm. You want to in, you want to allow. Look, you want to allow people to be offended. Mm. You know that th- this should not be about protecting people from offence. You want robu- robust debate. You want people to be able to call it out. Um, but you don't want the level of attack that you know sometimes incites people. To, to violence mm. Um, mm. and we have seen how it escalates sometimes, you know, one person says something and then the next person kind of tries to trump that and, and so on and so on, mm. so I think if we get the definitions right um, and we engage um, and one of the important aspects of this legislation is to engage the Human Rights Commissioner mm-hmm. um, in, in uh, providing her, with, providing that Commissioner with Investigatory powers, so they can compel um, companies to provide that information, and that doesn't exist at the moment. So I think I, I think the legislation is broad enough to uh, to to weather the changes mm. in technology. Look, I might be wrong. Mm. You know, I mean, who knows, you know, if, we're, if we actually are just going to, you know, send telepathic messages to each other yeah. in 10 years without actually speaking. Um, maybe we'll need to adjust the legislation. Mm. Uh, but but it, it, I think by just by, by making the legislation for everyone, mm. not just for certain attributes such as mm. race and religion. And I guess behind
4: it, it's always a human. It's just the medium in which it's done changes. Yeah. So,
12: And I... Also, you know, one of the things that legislation is supposed to do is it's supposed to set the standards Mm. for our society, that what is acceptable and what is not. And I think this is what this legislation is largely trying to do, is try to say, you know, there is acceptable language, there is acceptable debate, there is acceptable comment, and there is unacceptable. Mm. And when we're addressing things like violence against women, when we're saying that we need to change the culture um, then we need to pull up these people who are so abusive and so vile online. Mm. Um, mm. And, and in that way, I think that, that is a way that we will change the culture, that we call it out, it's unacceptable, and it is so unacceptable that we say that it actually it shouldn't be legal. Mm.
2: Mm. Absolutely, and just in regards to the way this, this bill will kind of work, um, the, the internet's a bit of a tricky one because it's largely anonymous. Mm. And so a lot of these threats, as, as you said, come from people who you just you can't name yep. your perpetrators. So how would necessarily that work? Would you collect um, the information or the the messages you're receiving? Or how, how would we hold people accountable under it?
12: Look, I think certainly, you know, certainly screenshots or certainly, mm. you know, I, I, a lot of people don't delete the, the assault of information. Mm, okay. But reporting it to the Human Rights Commissioner mm. um, enables uh, her well, to her at the moment, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Kristen Hilton, it would enable her to investigate. Mm. She does, she can compel Twitter and Facebook and a lot of those those companies are building up policies that they don't accept this type of language either. Yeah. So they would, it, so if they don't accept this type of language, then they should be compelled to provide that information. But you're absolutely right. I think, you know, some of the, the you know, a lot of those accounts Will be uh, sock, puppet, sock, sock puppet accounts. Mm. Um, so they will be anonymous accounts. They will be fake accounts. And, but again, this is this is about cultural change. Yes. This is really about saying that, you know, if people are saying these vile things like you should be raped on your way home or mm. in the car park, I'm going to get you what is the underlying actions mm. from yeah. that person? Yeah, threat? Mm. Yeah, if that person is saying that sort of thing, and, you know, Tyler was telling me that some of the people who were saying those sorts of things, you know, their profile photos had them holding their seven-year-old daughter. Mm. Mm. And you just kind of think, if What's you're happening? saying this, mm. what are your actions mm. and how are you behaving at home? Mm. So I think, you know, some of it may even provide us with some, yeah. some warnings. But yes, yeah, so it'll, it will give the, the Commissioner power and, and I do hope that it also will, again, set a standard mm. that we just, that the vast majority of us in, in society think is acceptable.
2: Yeah, Yeah. and I was, just, I was just thinking a little bit about the critics that will come out of this bill, yes. you know, especially as you said, we have this underlying violence against women. And anytime mm-hmm. that we do try to bring in protections, it's very much shattered down. Yeah. Um, I suppose, how do you think this is going to clearly define the line? Because a lot of people are going to go, oh, you know, oh, she should suck it up, or that's not that bad of a comment, or yeah. tough skin it out, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Where do we draw the line with what comments So, as you said, are robust, and what comments are wrong?
12: Well, I'd encourage people to to um to have a look at the probably the second reading speech and the and the legislation which will be up on my website, um also on the Parliament website. Mm -hmm. But we've tried to make that that um action as as objective as possible. Okay. Now, rather than that, you know, it may so it's some of the legislation at the moment is that it may incite violence. Mm. Um. We say that it will, mm. uh, and that we put a reasonable adult test in there. Mm-hmm. So that's quite common in other pieces of legislation. If this, if this would cause offence to a reasonable adult, or that a reasonable adult believes that this would incite violence, mm. that this would incite hatred. Um, so it's a fairly high bar. Okay. Mm. You yeah, know, it's not. Yeah, and I think I think it needs to be because I think we we should be allowed to well we should be allowed to be offended. People should Mm. be allowed to disagree, people should be allowed to insult. That they shouldn't be allowed to incite. Yeah, mm.
2: absolutely. That's a fantastic distinction. That yeah, yeah. really cool. <laughs>
12: great. Well, thank you so much for coming into yes, the studio
4: no, and hearing everything about the bill. Hopefully it gets a lot of attention and some great momentum behind yes,
12: it. Yes, yes. Anyone who wants to encourage their local MP to support it would be very welcome. Yeah, It's absolutely. up for debate next Wednesday. Wonderful. Fantastic. Thank, thank you.
4: you. Thanks so much for coming to the studio. Thank
12: you. Um, we're going
2: to be chucking on a song and we'll be back with our next interview. This is called The Tele- Revolution Will Not Be Televised. <laughs>
13: And Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant And women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow Because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day The revolution will not be televised There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news And no pictures of Harry, Har uh, woman liberationist And Jackie O'Napis blowing her nose The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck on the rare earth The revolution will not be televised The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado White lightning or white people You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom The tiger in your tank or the giant in your toilet bowl The revolution will not go better with coke The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath The revolution will put you in the driver's seat the revolution will not be televised, will
2: that be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. And that was The Revolution Will Not Be Televised by Gil Scott Herron. Uh, Absolute classic, anywho next up we have Freya on the line um, she 'll be talking about a upcoming um workshop called Period Witches, which sounds basically kind of is it sounds kind of awesome, not going to lie um good morning Freya hi how are you going? Good morning uh, good thank you um so kind of just starting off this this whole conversation about kind of menstruation and period witches um. I kind of label it as menstruation frustration kind of thing. Um, <laughs> yes. This is a historically unpopular time of the month. I mean, that's been culturally interwoven in, yep. into us since birth. Um, but also, for any wo- woman experiencing a kind of a period, it's, it's not the funnest of things. So how do you kind of subvert this historically unpopular time?
11: Yeah, well, um, I was lucky enough to be raised by a mum who does a very similar thing, and she just recently wrote a book called About Bloody Time. Um, <laughs> So she's, she's very much into period positivity. So I didn't really grow up with it seeming like a bad thing. Um, I mean, for me, I obviously didn't love it. But because she'd been so positive about it throughout my life, as I got older, I realized how much I actually enjoyed having my period. And that's because I learned how to harness the energy of like when you have your period, so it's kind of a time to rest, and it's a great excuse to just sit on the couch and look <laughs> after yourself.
2: <laughs> so could, could you kind of break that down for us a little bit more? What 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 kind of um, energies do, do you feel? You know that that part of the month has in kind of rest and rest, sorry, restoration kind of thing.
11: Yeah, so um, it's actually the time where your hormones are at their lowest, which is why we often feel really tired and feel grumpy. Um, so. The kind of modern culture is that we have to push through and do Mm -hmm. everything. And of course, we can do things. Like having a period doesn't actually prevent you from being awesome and doing everything. But if we kind of listen to our bodies, we can slow down and maybe have a day off. And I find that I just want to nap most of the day. And, <laughs> and if we let ourselves do that instead of trying to push ourselves, we could actually be more productive at different times of the month. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm trying to teach girls is just to listen to your body more instead of trying to push through everything and fight how you're actually feeling.
2: And I guess also the workshop will kind of work on how this is, this fits practically into your life because obviously we can't take yes. five <laughs> days yes. off. But, exactly. um, yeah, how, how do we kind of – what will your lessons be kind of about how we adjust this to our lifestyles or, or include this? Yeah.
11: Yeah, yeah. so um, this workshop that we're doing on Sunday is for girls going into, or girls or non-binary folk who bleed, going into study exam period. So I'm just kind of, uh, when they have their period, I'm just encouraging them to listen to their body. So have a nap if you're at home, even if it's just for half an hour. Mm. Um, go to bed early uh just little little tweaks uh with your self-care routine will make all the difference because i think a lot of the time we think of self-care as like going and getting your nails done or you know going shopping and it's kind of yeah that can be fun but that's actually not taking care of yourself mm. and what's going to make you feel better so i just encourage them to listen to their body so if they feel like a nap when they get home from school instead of studying <laughs> just have a nap and then do some study afterwards mm. so yeah it's there are definitely ways you can fit it into everyday everyday life um, and you know, one day I'd love that they that there's some period leave where you could take one day off a month. <laughs>
2: yeah, that sounds like a dream. Um, yep. Especially with your kind of target audience, uh, it is the the workshop is open to 16 to 18 year olds. I mean, what a what a time to be talking about this because that's obviously you Mm -hmm. go through sex ed in school which is a very formal breakdown of your menstruation uh you're also in one of the most stressful parts of your your life up until this point which is vce and kind of as you said exams (laughs) and stuff like that and you're also under the extraordinary societal and family in some cases pressure of as you said, studying every waking second of the day, yeah. mm-hmm. um, whilst also maintaining your emotional equilibrium, <laughs> performing your <laughs> oh. roles in society and stuff like that. Um, why did you specifically choose this group? Is it because of their intense kind of, not vulnerability, yeah. but kind of, you know, they're in a crucible?
11: <laughs> yeah, I think um, this is, a, for me, I've only just learned about, like in the last couple of years, about uh, thinking of your cycle as the fourth season. Oh. Um So I feel like, and I'll explain a bit more about that in a second, but I feel like if I could teach teenagers that before they go into the workforce or studying at university, it just makes all the difference to adulthood. Um, And yeah, because they're in this intense phase, like learning to take care of yourself and not push yourself till you have a breakdown Mm. is really important. And I think that like that is so not taught in schools yet. Um, I think they're getting there, but I think it's still, there's still a long way to
2: go. Absolutely. And can we, just getting back to that kind of yeah. four seasons, could you <laughs> kind of explain weeks. that for yeah. us? Because I've never heard that. Yeah.
11: Oh, it's so cool. Like I, I literally only just learned this in the last couple of years and I was like, I have to tell everyone. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people talk about so it's definitely not my concept. Um, but it's basically, if you think of your cycle, so if you've got an average cycle of minus 31 days, mm-hmm. uh, you have many seasons within that cycle. So you've got four seasons. So when you have your period, you're in winter. Mm-hmm. And that's why we want to stay inside. It's about hibernating, looking after yourself, sleeping lots. Then we've got spring once your period is finished. So you think about like right now we're in spring and you just want to get outside. You suddenly have all this energy. So we harness that energy to, you know, get all your things ticked off your to-do list, um, you know, uh, cleaning the whole house. You get all this kind of um mm-hmm. spring cleaning energy. Yeah. Then when you're ovulating, it's summer. And if you think about summer, we're all feeling, you know, relaxed and lazy and just full of love. So, it's when you're ovulating, you're obviously um, biologically looking for a mate. So, you're feeling a bit flirty. Right. Um, so, it's just about kind of harnessing that. So, allowing yourself to go and socialize. But how how do you study as well if you're feeling really social? Mm. Um, and then we've got autumn, which is PMS. So, if you think about autumn, all your leaves are falling off. You're starting to feel a bit cranky again. Um, yeah. So, if you just kind of – if you have that little analogy, it helps you to – really work out how you're feeling and maybe put some things in practice.
2: Absolutely. I've never thought about it that way.
11: (laughs) Yeah, it's such a cool concept because we can really relate to the seasons. We know how we feel in the seasons,
1: the kind of general feeling that everyone has. Hmm. Yeah, Freya. Hi, um, it's Jess here. I'm also hi. on the show this morning. Um, <laughs> I would just like to say, I jump in and vouch for you. I yes. was on the contraceptive for a while, and I was just all over the place sort of thing. I just yep. went on mm-hmm. it just because, you know, that's what school was like. Oh yeah, like that's you know, yeah. you should definitely yeah. go for the go <laughs> for the pill, you know. Oh my god. Um, yes. which which works for some people, not for other mm-hmm. people, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the four seasons thing, just this last year, I've, you know, been keeping up to date with, like, a, with a, with an app, Flow app, yeah. and um I've definitely felt that um I can sort of adjust my schedule to those, that sort of four seasons yeah. theme, and I think that, like, especially for young girls, like what you're doing on Sunday, I think, you know, getting them into that idea of shaping their lives and being comfortable with, like, knowing when they are You know, okay to. Going through these. Yeah, and like it's so okay for that. Would you recommend them doing an app and like, you know, getting them in tune with their bodies? Is that what's basically the premise of what you're getting at? Yeah, definitely. And
11: I've, 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 I use the Clue app, but I'm, I definitely, I I haven't done my research, but I'd love to kind of give them all the options and show them a bit about all the different apps. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that it's so important to know your body because like, for so long when I was a teenager, even though my periods were really regular, mm. I I didn't really know what was happening apart from when I had my period. Oh, for sure. I was just like, all right, I'm feeling this and that's why. But then the rest of the month, you just kind of go along with it. But yeah, so I'm just teaching them like a, a, a new concept, I guess, and... Um, yeah, I, I think I need to
1: look into all the different apps because that's the flow <laughs> app,
11: is it? Is that the one you use?
1: Yeah, flow. I think it's probably the same as Clue, but yeah, it does yeah, the same yeah. trick. But it's, yeah, just getting um, to know your body, it just can make you such oh, a much more oh, yeah. productive person in your life. So, it really, it really yeah. can. We live
11: in this, like, we live in the patriarchal society, yes. so we, everyone, we're expected to... Break those barriers. <laughs> yeah, it's, so we're kind of, yeah. we're cyclical beings, we're not linear beings, so mm. it's important to kind
1: of learn about it. Yeah, definitely
2: awesome. Absolutely, I know. Um, in contrast to Jess, I, I've never kept track of anything, um, and so it's, it's really interesting to listen to this and listen to the fact that you feel different during different parts of the month. Because yeah. I'm like, oh, maybe yeah, that, maybe yeah. that'll explain some things. Um, so I'm going yeah, to go home really, and, and you can, yeah, yeah, record it. It's
11: really, it's kind of like, oh, every oh. month I you know, check out every person on the tram because
2: I'm <laughs> ovulating. <laughs> Dang it, I am that predictable. <laughs> yep. Um, Just kind of going on with this and what you'll be getting up to in your workshop, could you kind of give us a bit of a snapshot? Because I know in previous kind of workshops that you had earlier this year, um, you worked with students to kind of work on like uh, budgeting and organisational skills around um, kind of menstruation. Yeah. Is that something that you go on with in this? Yeah, so
11: because we're focusing on study, yep. we are doing um, a few different things. So... We have a Pilates instructor come in and give you some great tips on how to, uh, stretch out your body for different stages of your cycle. And she'll talk a bit about study and the best way to have a quick workout and stretch to help, um, help you get back into study. Um, and then we have someone who's working on study, like study skills. Cause that's something that I never really learnt at school. They, they yeah. tell you to go and study, but I was like, but how? So, um, <laughs> Uh, she's actually my sister-in-law And she has, a, she has a passion for how to study correctly So that's going to be really fun um, And then we also have uh, a bit of fun with learning some typography mm-hmm. And I think that's it's just nice to break up the day That's you know a bit serious and study focused To do some creativity um, And then we have some creative writing and journaling So that's for when you're feeling You've got your period or you've got PMS And you just can't get your head into study So we just kind of look at Okay, get all your thoughts out Get all your emotions out on the paper and then you might be able to get back into your
2: study. Yeah, so yeah, we've got a few practice. different
11: Yeah, reflective practice and a few different ways to look after yourself during this crazy period.
2: Absolutely. Well, um I did get it wrong before. The details are actually for individuals between fifteen and nineteen who um, Yeah, we've
11: we've kind of, yeah, we keep We did have 16 and 19, and then we um, brought it back down because we had a few people who wanted to come along anyway. Yeah, quite
2: right, quite right. Um, Mm. Sounds absolutely fantastic. And they'll be running this Sunday uh, at SiteWorks at 33 Saxon Street in Brunswick. Um, For people who want to come along, do they need to bring anything, or just kind of Um, themselves? So they can book us online
11: um, just so that we know the numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, And so our website is RamonaMag.com, and you just see there's a little bar at the top of the page which says workshop. Mm -hmm. Um, and to bring along just yourself and, like, uh, some lunch or you can go and get lunch. Uh, We go from 11 till 4.30, so you'll need to bring something and just a pen and paper, really.
2: Perfect. Um, We will make sure those links are on the rundown and thank you so much, Freya, for coming on this morning. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. No problem. And that was Freya. We're going to have a few community service announcements and we'll be back with our final interview. Yay! Yay!
11: Or simply post your cheque or money order to P.O. Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation
2: to go to.
6: Beyond the darks are my lines, The silent ones are my choir. The women will be my soldiers With the weight of life on their shoulders Drink until you've had enough I'll
5: drink from your hands. I will be your wife
2: And that was Queendom by Aurora, who we had to stop because we've got our next interview coming up.
1: Yeah, so today we're talking to Scott Jordan from the Bob Brown Foundation. Uh, The Bob Brown Foundation aims to take action to protect Australia's wild and scenic natural places of ecological significance. A major place of interest for the foundation is the Tarkine, which is in the beautiful region of northwest Tasmania. The Tarkine is a vast wilderness area supporting uh, supporting Australia's largest tract of cool-temperate rainforest-spanning wild windswept beaches, extensive bottomed grass plains and pristine wild rivers. It is of great significance to Tasmania's Aboriginal people and a relic of the ancient continent of Gondwana and related to temperate forests in Patagonia and the South Island of New Zealand. Just this week, Britain's timber milling company have acquired Specialty Veneers Somerset Mill. Britain's acquiring this mill means that they will continue to gain taxpayers' money towards the logging and selling of rainforest destruction. Good morning, Scott. How are you? Good morning, what an introduction. You've got, <laughs> You've got a great introduction this morning. Um, so first of all, keeping all that in mind, and before we go into discussion about Brennan timber acquiring the Somerset Mill, um, can you talk about the Bob Brown Foundation's aim to list the Tarkeen region as a national park and World Heritage listed site by 2020 and why it's so important to do so? Look,
9: the the aim to have the Tarkeen protected as a, a World Heritage area or a national park has... Uh, It's been a long campaign. Um, There's been calls for protection of this area going right back to to the 1880s. And so um, more recently, we've we've doubled down on on our efforts to get this area protected. There's been reports um, produced by by um, the IUCN and by the Australian government and by the Tasmanian state government that all point to the fact that this area should be in a a world heritage area in a national heritage area and and in a national park, Mm -hmm. yet we've not had the political will to make that happen. And so um, at at our foundation, we've been pushing along and and, trying to bring that to the national attention Mm. And and try and get this area protected as soon as possible. And next year sounds like a great time frame.
1: Yeah, it does, yeah, and hopefully we we get there by twenty twenty. So your stages are including just reaching out to uh, poli- people on a political scale, um is that you know, is that just um with in within Tasmania or is this a national sort of thing that you're going through? Like how the, is it from grassroots going up or are you just going straight up to the big bosses and asking for Sort
9: of we are taking this to every level, uh, yeah. and so we're, we're definitely on the ground. I'm based in in Burnie, which is a a um, regional centre right on the edge of the Tarkine. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we have staff in in Hobart uh, working in our office there to to drive that um, message home in in the. State's capital um but we also have outreach right across the nation and we've we've conducted quite a lot of programs out of out of melbourne and got an, a, an awesome team of volunteers there and and of course we're, we're also yeah over the, the spring and summer period we're occupying coops in the tarquin that are scheduled to be logged in, and and physically putting ourselves in the way of the of the machines to, to stop that from happening and and we've we've had great support not just from tasmanians in in occupying those troops, but people that have flown in from from around the country and, in fact, from around the globe.
1: Yeah, it looks like you've got a very big backing behind you and um, a lot of people quite angered at what's been happening. Um, with this news from Britain's milling strengthening its commitment to logging in the area, um, how has this? How do you predict this will affect your 2020 mission of getting it listed as a World Heritage Site in the Tucking?
9: Well, look, in, in real terms, it's The mill already existed, so Mm -hmm. it's transferred from one owner to another. So in that aspect, it doesn't change our aims and it doesn't change our our campaign strategy. But what it does point out, though, is that um, this is a company that um, exists largely because of the largesse of the taxpayer. Um, we are cutting down trees in, in Tasmania's forest, including the Tarkine, and selling them to millers like Britain's mm. for less than the cost of cutting them down. And so if these guys had to actually pay the cost of harvesting these trees and, and managing that resource, they wouldn't be in business. Mm. Um, or they would transfer out into a plantation-based resource. But, of course, why would you move to a plantation resource if you actually have to pay the costs of, of growing and harvesting then the government's prepared to wear those costs and, and supply you at, at at below the cost and so what we have here is, is Britain's are uh, i guess doing what what um, yeah a, a corporate structure will do in that they've gone out and and uh, another mill has become available and if the government's going to provide you timber at a fraction of the cost then then why wouldn't you Buy another mill and move it on.
1: Yeah, like it, just it makes should, sense in a business sense, definitely. Um, yeah, but there
9: um, should be a wake up call to to taxpayers that you know we, you know we we shouldn't be seeing businesses expanding and, and businesses, you know working on a model going forward of, of only relying on on the on the generosity of of taxpayer subsidies in an area where. Majority of Tasmanians, the majority of Australians, don't want to
1: see these areas locked. Yeah, exactly. And I was actually just reading an article published in the Guardian, I think, on the 29th of May. Um, It stated that in 1998, the forest estate of Tasmania um, was valued at 852 million, and now, 20 years later, it's only valued at 100 million. Um, This obviously gives way to companies like Brennan's Timbers um, acquiring mills, not even acquiring mills, just being able to continue the deforestation in the area. Um, I guess you've already spoken about it, but can you sort of... Do you think this is the reason to believe that they'll continue to acquire the mills so easily and to continue their work there? Like, is this going to be... Like, can we do anything with, like, to stop the government sort of ceasing to use this public sort of land, selling it off to companies? Like, what can we do? Like, what do you guys...
9: Well, look, I mean, clearly we need to be telling our government this is not acceptable. Um, Here in Tasmania, we've got a a hospital crisis, we've got an ambulance crisis, we've got um, desperate needs for more funding in in housing, Mm. Um, we've got a huge homelessness problem, and yet we're throwing government money at underwriting logging of ancient native forests. It makes no sense. Um, The majority of logging in Tasmania, in fact, the majority of logging around Australia, is now plantation-based. And those dinosaurs that are still holding on to, yeah, logging native forest mm-hmm. need to move with the trend and get with the rest of the industry. Um, but instead, uh, we're seeing government subsidise and keep them, um, running, mm-hmm. um, to, to score political points in, in some of those communities. And so, what, what we need is, is people speaking up and telling government this is not okay and, and, um, it's not just the Tasmanian taxpayer that underwrites this stuff. Tasmania is a net beneficiary of, of Commonwealth revenues. Um, we, there's more comes into the state from the Commonwealth than, than we pay out in taxes. And, and I think most people, in, in, whether they're in Melbourne or Sydney or Perth, expect that they're, they're helping us pay for our health services and our housing and our education system, and they would be horrified to think that we're using some of that money to fund the, the logging of, of ancient native forests.
1: Yeah, it's heartbreaking stuff. Um, and obviously it's going to continue because there's not been much change. But, you know, with your help, your support and the people's sort of people, power of the people, hopefully it, uh, you know, gets better. But in the case of it continuing, um, how do you expect it to affect the environment in regard to the climate, wildlife and economy of Tasmania? We have on one side, the corporate companies making money saying like their argument being you know we're improving the economy but is it really like in your perspective how would you sort of
9: well look what we know is that native forest logging uh employs less than one percent of the tasmanian workforce um what we know from work the australia institute has done um Richard Dennis has quoted as saying that, in fact, there's more people employed in news agencies in Tasmania than there are in native forest logging. Mm. So, this this myth that the economy rests on it and 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 we will you know, suffer economic um, collapse if we don't log our native forest is a myth. Um, tourism provides um, over 20% of the jobs in. In the, the Tarkine region. Um, it's, it's over 20% of the jobs statewide. It's a much bigger driver and people are coming here to see primarily those, those intact natural environments that, um, that draw all of the people to Tasmania every, every year to, mm. to come and, and be part of that and to see our amazing wildlife and, and all of those things. Now logging threatens this. There's no, um, no way around that. You're, you're taking away the forest that people are coming to see. You're, you're removing the habitat that the wildlife um, rely on. But at the same time, you're through this um, practice of clear fell and burn, you're, you're removing huge carbon stores. Um, you're then burning um, not just the amount, 65% of, of what gets logged in a coop in the Tarkine is burnt on the ground. It, it doesn't end up going to to any sort of mill, whether it be wood chip or, mm, or sawmill. Uh, and so we're seeing a huge amount of carbon released by the logging operation, but we're also seeing all that um, soil carbon you know, lost in the, in the burn. Yeah, so that, definitely. that can't be replaced. Um, the, the replanting of those areas simply can't yeah, um, replace what's taken millions of years to, to produce yeah. and certainly can't in the timeframes that we need to avert serious
1: climate change. Definitely, well thank you I'm just going to have to cut you off there, sorry Scott but thank you so much for coming on today No worries, thank you Thank you.
2: And just to kind of wrap up the show, we've got a few seconds left, so we had um, Will's kind of conversations this morning around Mm -hmm. the Amazon fires and also refugee resettlement protests in Indonesia, definitely, they'll be on the rundown, as well as Fiona Patton at 7.45 this morning. And then Freya um, came on at 8, just to, uh, talking about her new workshop, which will be on uh, Sunday the 8th this month, September. At SiteWorks. At SiteWorks, yep. All details will be on our website. And Jess, we were just talking to Scott.
1: Yeah, about the Tarquin region and, and the Bob Brown Foundation campaigning to protect the rainforests in mm-hmm. Tasmania. Okay. All ongoing stuff to look out for. Uh, guys, what are you grateful for?
4: Walkable cities. I'm starting to walk everywhere and it's great.
1: Ooh, yeah. Yeah. about <laughs> you, just... um, I've been waiting to say it all, all morning, but um, ivan has got the loveliest pair of earrings on this morning. <laughs> they're cute little duckies. <laughs> yeah. and they just
2: like sit just below the headphones. They're very cute, so I'm grateful for those. Yeah. I'm grateful for the person who made them. Yeah. <laughs> they my friends. Um, and with that, we close up our show. It is the 4th of September. Have a lovely Wednesday, folks. Yeah. We'll talk See to ya. you next week. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's radical independent bookseller and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find NIBS in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Or check them out at nibs.org.au to find more information
5: about upcoming discussions and events.